Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. In October of 1911, a professor at the Theological Seminary of Princeton named B.B. Warfield shared a message with a room full of future pastors and ministry leaders. And what he shared in that message has since become required reading in ministry training institutions around the world. I want to read for you a portion of what B.B. Warfield shared in that message. He said this, one danger of continuous study of God's word is that the radical glories of the gospel become so familiar to you that you lose your sense of awe. Wow. In losing your sense of awe, you lose your thankfulness. In losing your thankfulness, you lose your worship. In a culture like ours, when we have such easy access to the Word of God, when many of us become so familiar with the Scripture, I think the word that Professor Warfield shared in 1911 is a fresh word for us. Because today we are beginning a journey through the New Testament book of Mark. And for the foreseeable future, the primary section of scripture that we're going to be studying as a church family is what we know as the second book in the New Testament. Over the last 21 years as a church family, we have studied all or large portions of 15 books of the Bible. And today we have the privilege to begin another one. And as we begin, I want to put these words from Professor Warfield before us. Because as we begin this journey today, our primary aim is to know and fall more in love with Jesus. Bible knowledge is a good thing, but it's not the primary thing. Theological clarity is a good thing. Well-packaged sermons are good things. But the main thing that we desire to experience as we walk verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark is that you and I would fall more in love with Jesus as the Holy Spirit of God uses His Word to transform our lives. So my prayer is 
that many years from now, when we complete the Gospel of Mark, <laughs> that we are more passionate in our worship of Jesus than we are right now. So having said that, would you take your copy of the Bible and look with me in Mark chapter 1. Today we're going to unpack the first eight verses of the gospel of Mark. If you don't have a copy of the scripture, we're going to put these verses on the screen so that you can track along with us. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Verse 4, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptizing, being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. No, that is not a typo. That is what the scripture says, and we're going to talk about it in a few moments. Verse 7. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. In verse 8, it's a powerful statement. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So those are the verses on this Mother's Day weekend that we are going to unpack. But before we jump into unpacking those verses, I want to give us just a snapshot into the culture and the context that the book of Mark was written. Here's a couple facts that I just want us to be aware of as we dive into this gospel. This book was written between 55 and 68 AD, meaning approximately 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the book of Mark was written. There's something else we need to be aware of. The book was written to Gentiles following Jesus in the city of Rome. So these were Christians, not from Jewish descent, but who were living in the pagan city of Rome in the first century. Also, this book is the shortest of the four Gospels. 16 chapters in the book of Mark and 39 times in this book, he uses the word immediately. So Mark is a fast-paced writer. So he's going to move through this content. There is so much action in the book of Mark. And then finally, this book was written in a culture that was hostile toward followers of Jesus. In 64 AD, the great fire of Rome destroyed 80% of the city over the course of two days. 
80% of the city of Rome was burned to the ground by the great fire of Rome. And historians tell us that the ruler of Rome at that time, his name was Nero, chose to wrongfully blame Christians whom he hated for the fire. As their punishment, Nero ordered the Christians be cruelly fed to animals for entertainment and others be covered in tar in order to set them on fire to light up his personal garden. These acts were evil, they were unfair, but they described the culture that the book of Mark was written in. Christianity was not popular, Christianity was not trendy, yet we see in this book the powerful principles that are captured about the life of Jesus. What we're going to look at today is we're going to look at three messages from three different people. If you notice, as we were reading the text, there are references from three people. First, we're going to see a message from a man named Mark, the author of this book. Then we're going to see the message that was shared by a man named Isaiah. Then we're going to see a message shared by a man named John the Baptist. And each of their messages is going to point to the very same thing. The glory and the goodness and the greatness of Jesus Christ. So here's the first thing we see in this text. We see a declaration of Jesus. And this is Mark's message. This is the very first verse of this gospel. Mark wrote, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now this verse is incredibly significant. And over the course of our journey, we're going to be referring back to chapter 1, verse 1, because this verse is the preamble. It's an introductory statement that provides the purpose for everything that follows. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So what is Mark getting on the table in his declaration? Well, here's what I believe he's communicating. The Savior who is the Messiah has come. His name is Jesus, and he is God in the flesh. This is good news for us today, and it was good news for them in the first century. If you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to unpack this statement very quickly to share with you the very essence of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus today, I hope as we talk about this statement for a moment that it is fresh wind in your sails as you seek to follow Jesus in 2022. Mark gets on the table that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the way that humanity can experience forgiveness for sin. There had never been a way for humans to experience complete and eternal forgiveness of sin, but God sent his son Jesus to be the Savior. Because of Jesus, we can be rescued from the penalty of sin. Amen? Mark said he's the Savior, but he also says he's the Messiah. 
Jesus was not just the hope for the nation of Israel. Jesus is the hope for all of humanity. The one that had been prophesied and promised to come had come, and his name is Jesus. He says he's the Savior. He's the Messiah, and that he is God. Mark is saying here to these Gentile believers in Rome, you've heard about Jesus. You may have even seen Jesus. He is not just a man. He's the creator. He is eternal. He is almighty God who took on flesh and dwelt among us. Here's the good news of chapter 1, verse 1. God's greatest gift to address the brokenness of humanity was in fact to send his son to the earth to save us. That is the declaration of Jesus that Mark makes in chapter 1, verse 1. And there are really two groups of people in the world. There are people who believe this, and there are people who don't. As a church family, Hope Church, we believe this statement to be fact. This is the radical teaching of the gospel, and we believe this to be fact, and we believe this to be true. We believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. I know today, within this room and even watching online, there are people within the sound of my voice, and you're hurting today. If you were honest and transparent, you would say, Pastor, right now, in this moment, I'm struggling. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm seeking. Maybe you're a mom today, and this is a hard weekend for you. You see moms who are celebrating today and joyful today, but deep down in your heart, you are not. Here's what we understand from Mark 1, verse 1. Because of Jesus, you can have hope. Regardless of your story, regardless of your journey, listen, the Savior has come. The Messiah has come. And he is God. And he has come to redeem a people unto himself. His name is Jesus. That's the declaration that we see in Mark 1, verse 1. Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, God in the flesh, and he has come. But then in our text, we see a second message. And it's a message that actually comes from a man named Isaiah. We see a prophecy about Jesus. From Mark, we see a declaration of Jesus. From Isaiah, we see a prophecy about Jesus. Mark records in his account of the life of Jesus that he desires for those Christians in Rome to read it and be encouraged. He also references Isaiah to say this. I know that some of you think what's happening around you is unique to this generation. But what I'm writing to you about Jesus has been spoken of by prophets long ago. Look at Mark 1 verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face 
who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. What was being communicated here by way of prophecy? Look at this statement. Isaiah foretold that the king would come and someone would prepare the way for his arrival. By by way of prophecy, Isaiah said, the Messiah, the king is coming. And you'll know that it's him because someone will go before him and prepare the way. Now, when Isaiah shared this prophecy about Jesus, there were many people that were scratching their heads in disbelief. But Isaiah uses a cultural reference here in verse 3 that would have made complete sense to everyone who heard it, whether they placed their faith in God or not. Listen to what Charles Swindoll says about this cultural reference. In ancient times, construction crews would arrive at a city long before the planned arrival of a king to level the hills, fill ditches, clear debris, and remove obstructions in order to prepare a wide, encumbered, unencumbered, straight road into the heart of town. This work also served as notice to the city officials. I love this. Prepare yourselves and your city to receive the king. Isaiah is prophesying that just as all of these people know, a preparer who comes before an earthly king, he's saying to them, there will be a preparer, but he will not be preparing the way for an earthly king. He is coming to prepare the way for the king who sits on the throne of the universe for all eternity. Isaiah tells us about Jesus. A king is coming and someone will come to prepare the way for his arrival. So Mark tells us in verse 1 that Jesus is God the Messiah. Isaiah tells us that Jesus is king. But there's a third message within our text today that comes from a man named John the Baptist. The next thing we see here is a forerunner for Jesus. Mark declares who he is. Isaiah prophesies about him. And John fulfills the role of a forerunner for Jesus. Look at verse 4 in Mark chapter 1. John appeared, meaning John the Baptist, baptizing in the wilderness... And proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 5. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild John the Baptist was the preparer that Isaiah talked about. But how did John the Baptist prepare the way for the soon coming king? Well, I believe there were several ways. First of all, John served God apart from the systems of the religious leaders of that day. Think about this. This is so powerful. Rather than the messenger and preparer 
that Isaiah spoke about being one of the chief priests or religious leaders of the day, God in his sovereignty chose a messenger who wore camel hair and ate locusts. Remember, everyone in this culture looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests, and here's what they said. God is pleased with them. If you wanted to see a reflection of what God was all about, you looked at the religious leaders of that day. Because the religious leaders looked the right way and they said the right things. However, on the inside, they were empty and they were spiritually dead. So the selection of John the Baptist as the preparer to make the way straight for the Lord is almost as radical as Jesus Christ being born in a manger. This was a preparation for Jesus who proclaimed, I desire a relationship with people, not rule following by people. John the Baptist clarified that the heart of God is not about religion. It's not about the list of do's and don'ts that you follow. The heart of God is for a relationship with people that he can walk with and he can speak to and he can transform in a very personal way. So the first way that John the Baptist prepared the way is he served God, but he did not do it in the mix with the religious leaders of the day. A second way that John prepared the way is John baptized in the wilderness. You see in verse 5 that many people were following the ministry of John. And the movement of followers listening to John were doing so away from the temple, which is where most of the religious activity took place. You see once again this distance between the religious leaders and the religious structure of the day and the one that was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. So here's something I've been thinking about. Why is the Bible so specific about telling us what John wore and what John ate and clarifying for us that his baptisms, when he would baptize someone, he did it in the wilderness? I want to give you a full disclosure statement today. So we have three weekend services every weekend. And on Thursday night, we had our service here, and I was not the preacher. Pastor Edward is scheduled to kick off the book of Mark. And so he taught on Sunday, and then yesterday afternoon, he called me, and he said, Hey, bro, I'm sick. I'm down, and I'm not doing well. I said, Well, I know what that means. It's time to tag team this thing. So I sat down about 3 o'clock at my desk, and honestly, the thing that was just on my heart was, Lord, there is something you want to teach me. I'm going to grind this thing out. I'm going to pull an all-nighter. I'm going to get this message ready. But God, I know there's something you want to teach me. And I thought to myself, you could always just send me an email on Tuesday. <laughs> but for whatever reason... God wanted to teach me something. And it's this principle about John the Baptist. 
why in the world? I've read this section of scripture hundreds of times. Why in the world does Jesus specify in this gospel about what Mark, about what John wore, about what he ate, and about where he baptized? I believe this is the reason this is specified for us within the scriptures. God's word is reminding us that he is not pleased with religious activity on the outside. He desires a personal relationship that transforms us on the inside. And today, as one of your pastors, I need to embrace that word because I find myself more often than not concerned with what is being portrayed on the outside rather than the activity of God and Christ in me working through me on the inside. John the Baptist being the one who prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah tells us God is not impressed with our religious activity. He is not impressed with our possessions, our buildings, or our achievements. He desires from us clean hands and a pure heart. And let me prove it to you. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 when he spoke about the religious leaders of that day. Here's what Jesus said about the people that the world looked at and said, God is pleased with them. This is what Jesus said. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He says, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What a word. In a culture like ours, in a culture like the one that the Gospel of Mark was written in, when there is this massive pull and temptation to think it's all about what's going on on the outside. Jesus is saying to us through John the Baptist, what I really care about is your heart. What I really care about is seeing you transformed from the inside The Lord chose for John to prepare the way for Jesus because John understood life was not about him or his efforts. John's ministry was about directing all the attention toward Jesus. That's why John could say in verse 7 of chapter 1, and he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now, this is another cultural reference. You see, in this context, when the master of a house would enter the house, the lowest of the servants would run to the door, get on their knees, and unlace the master's sandals, and then wash the dirty, dusty feet of the master. Historians tell us it was a despicable job. And John says here, 
the Messiah who is coming is so mighty, I'm not worthy to do for him the most humiliating job possible. We see in John a characteristic that was not present in the religious leaders of this day. It's a characteristic that set him apart to prepare the way of the Lord. And here's the characteristic, humility. There are only two possible postures before the Lord, humility and pride. In John the Baptist, we see a man who was humble. In the religious leaders, we see a group that was prideful. I love this statement by a man named Fred Smith. People with humility don't deny their power. They just recognize it passes through them, not from them. That's John the Baptist. There's an acknowledgement that the reason I am who I am is because of who Jesus is. So John prepared the way by serving the Lord apart from the religious leaders of that day. He carried out ministry outside of the traditional temple context. And then finally, John taught a baptism of repentance. John preached that because a person had repented of sin, they should be baptized as a public demonstration of that repentance. I love what Jerry Vine said about this contextually. The word repentance means a change of mind about your sin. It means you see how ugly and terrible your sin is, so you repent. Repentance is the needle that pierces the cloth to make way for the gospel thread. Repentance prepares the way for Jesus to come into your life. Another way that John prepared the way for the coming Messiah is he preached a baptism of repentance. He called people to repentance and to be baptized to symbolize that they were repenting of their sin. So you see the message of John the Baptist, this contrast of the external and the internal. So with that in mind, look at verse 8. He says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. After a powerful statement in verse 7, John makes another powerful statement in verse 8 and refers once again to the outside and the inside. Now, I am very aware that the word baptism and the phrase Holy Spirit being in the same verse always gets a lot of attention in Christian circles. But I want you to know today that the meaning of Mark 1.8 is very clear. John the Baptist is making reference to what takes place in a person's life when they embrace the gospel and are born again. Look at this summary. John proclaimed baptism with water, which was a symbolic outward expression. Jesus proclaims 
an inward transformation through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. John is saying, all I can do with a water baptism is wash you off on the outside. But what Jesus is going to do when he comes by the power of his spirit will penetrate past the outside and affect you at the, at the core of the inside. The moment a person places their faith in Jesus, they are cleansed of their sin, indwelt by the Spirit of God, and given eternal life. Here's what John MacArthur said about verse 8. It is as if John is saying, all I can do is wash you on the outside with water. But he, meaning Jesus, can transform and cleanse you on the inside. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit refers to the regenerative work of salvation. So we see today three messages from three different people, but each message pointing to Jesus. Mark declared him as Messiah and God. Isaiah says he is the king and someone will come ahead of him to prepare the way. And John says that he is the only worthy one to be worshipped. And he's the only one who can transform you from the inside out. So you hear the message of Mark, you hear the message of Isaiah, and you hear the message of John the Baptist. As we land the plane today, I want to ask you a very simple yet important question. What is your response to Jesus? Mark made a bold declaration in response to Jesus of who he is, what he could do. Isaiah made a bold response to the Messiah. John the Baptist gives such a powerful picture of humility and worship and awe in response to Jesus. But as you think about your journey today, I want you to think, what is your response to Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you know that you do not have a relationship with God. You hear us make reference in this service to a relationship with God. That God does not delight in religious activity. That he delights in a relationship. And you know in your journey you've never had a moment when you have confessed your sin before the Lord. Placed your faith in Jesus and become a part of his family. If that's you, I want you to know today you can do that. In just a few moments we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of response together. We're going to have some pastors here along the front, and we would love to talk to you today if you know that you need a relationship with God. Maybe you came today just because it's Mother's Day, and you really came thinking that what church is really all about is what is on the outside. I hope you've heard today from the Word of God that God's heart is not about what you look like on the outside. God's heart is for what's taking place on the inside. He's the only one who can change your heart. He's the only one who can change your life.
Or maybe you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus. I want to pose to you the very same question. What is your response to Jesus? Maybe you realize today that you need a deeper pursuit of him. If that's you, we want to help you with that. One of the things that several members of our teaching team have done is we have written a Mark devotional and prayer guide that's available this weekend. You can pick it up at Hope Resources for $5. You can get it online. But it's a, it's, it's a walk through the journey we're going to be on in the Gospel of Mark over the next several months. So maybe it could just be a tool for you to utilize on your journey of just pursuing the Lord. That's critical for all of us. But there may be some specific things that we've talked about today that you recognize in your own life. Maybe you would say, I believe Jesus is king, but my life doesn't reflect that belief. Maybe you would agree with what we just read from the scripture, but as you look at your life, Jesus is not ruler. You are not surrendered to him. He is not shaping your daily thoughts and actions. And your moment today is to say, Lord, I surrender. My response to you today for the first time in a long time is I surrender. Or maybe you recognize that you need to repent of sin that has disrupted your fellowship with God. John the Baptist preached repentance. And yes, at the moment of salvation, we repent before God and positionally we are made right. But what Christ has done in us positionally, we are still walking out practically. And that requires a constant attitude of repentance. Maybe there's something in your life right now that you realize during our response today, you just need to confess that and you need to turn from whatever that may be. And then finally, maybe today you're like me and you realize you've been more focused on the external than the internal. And you've fallen into a way of thinking that says God's more concerned with what's going on on the outside and how I portray myself publicly than really what's happening in my heart. And this is a day for you to say, Lord, change my heart, change my mind. What's happening on the outside is not important. What's happening on the inside is important. So may those messages from Mark and Isaiah and John the Baptist shape us in the days ahead and set the course for this incredible journey that we're going to be on through the New Testament book of Mark. I want to invite you to bow your head today. We're going to move now to a time of response together. We believe that every time the word of God is preached, that it's important to respond. So I want to put back before you the question I asked a moment ago. What is your response to Jesus? What is your response to Jesus? If you don't know him, your response is to embrace him. If you do know him, what specific area of your life is he impressing on your heart, is he impressing on your mind that today before you leave, you need to deal with. During this next song, you may want to just stay in your seat and cry out to the Lord. Maybe you want to come down to this altar and just kneel down. I want to ask our pastors to go ahead and come. We're going to have our pastors here along the front. 
we'd love just to pray for you today. Maybe there's something specific in your life that you were just saying, today on this Mother's Day, this weekend, I would love for somebody just to pray for me. That's what these moments are all about. I want to pray for us, and we're going to stand up, and we're going to respond to the Lord together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel of Mark. Lord, I pray that this word, this incredible word about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he invites us into, Lord, I pray that it would take root in our hearts. Thank you for the authority of scripture. Thank you that we can stand upon your word. Lord, we desire to respond to you now. So I pray that you would speak to us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.